yesterday I was driving down the street on my way to an appointment and there was a long line of cars waiting to turn left at the signal. And it was one of those signals that has a left-hand turn signal that turns green for a few seconds and then it goes off and then the regular signal turns green and you have to wait if there's cars coming the other direction. Well, as often happens at a signal, I was in a hurry and the car in front of me was poking along and missed the left-hand turn signal. So I was stuck behind them at the green light. And you can probably imagine what I was thinking or maybe saying out loud <laughs> to the car in front of me. I'm like, get it, get a move on, you know, just get out of the way, go, go, go. <laughs> well, as riders, we often get in our own way too, much like that person ahead of me was getting in my way yesterday. As riders, we often poke along. We try a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but rarely do we go all in. And then we start haunting ourselves with shoulds, what we're calling should, S-H-O-U-L-D-S. I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And then all those shoulds begin to pile up and they freeze us from making progress in our publishing journey. I have a guest with us here today who is going to help us get out of our own way. And I'd like to welcome Alice Kreider to the show. Hey, Alice, welcome. Thank you. So great to be here. Alice is a multi-talented behind-the-scenes, providing a supportive role to writers as a publishing strategist, a freelance editor, a copywriter, a life coach, and a writing coach. She coaches authors, and she spent more than 20 years in the book publishing industry. So Alice has a lot of skills and experience to share with us today. So welcome, friends, to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I am here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. Perhaps you're an emerging writer who's feeling a little bit stuck or overwhelmed, and you're looking for some practical tips that'll help you develop forward momentum. Or maybe you're an established writer who has a few knowledge gaps here and there, and you're eager to take massive action to plug those gaps. And perhaps you enjoy being inspired by other writers, and you're going to get all that here on the Professional Writer Podcast, practical tips that you can begin taking massive action on today, and candid conversations with business professionals like my friend Alice Kreider, who's here with us today, who are going to share what it is really like to be a professional writer. You'll find the show notes and a link to join our private Facebook community at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. And if you would like to subscribe to the show so that you receive an email notification from me every time a new episode drops, here's an easy way to do that. Simply text the phrase Pro writer, P R O W R I T E R, to this number, 44222, and follow the prompts. And when you subscribe, I'm going to email you a bonus gift, which is my quick start guide called Essential Resources for Running a Writing Business. So that number again, text the phrase Pro writer, all one word, to 44222. Back to Alice. Alice Kreider and I first met at a writer's conference. We were both teaching at a writer's conference and the host of the conference put us together in the same room. I don't think we knew each other before that, did we, Alice? I think we may have crossed paths, but we weren't friends yet. We just kind of knew who each other was. 
we got to know each other pretty well. And one of the things I discovered from rooming with you is that you and I are totally on the same page when it comes to our philosophies of working with authors and writers and coaching them. Yes, I noticed that too. And it made it really fun to room with you. Yeah, we had a lot of, I recall, a lot of fun late night conversations. We did. Yes. The conference we were at, they were very conservative on the number of towels they let us have <laughs> in the room. <laughs> so we ended up going, did we get enough towels today? Do we have towels? Do we have clean towels? I remember when you left, you left me a little note, said, hey, it was fun rooming with you and don't forget to save towels. <laughs> and I meant to say safe travels, but I wrote save towels instead. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I my mind couldn't must tell have which been. one you said. <laughs> yeah, my mind must have been on the towels that whole time. Yes, we were constantly going to the front desk and requesting fresh towels. Yes. I remember that. I can't take a shower and dry myself with one little tiny hand towel. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're te teaching at the conference, you kind of have to smell good, right? Yes. Yeah. Or you kind of want to be able smell... to take a shower every day. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to smell offensive to the people you're in the class with. Well, that was, yeah, that was fun. And ever since that first writers conference, when we were rooming together, we've been friends and we have really supported one another's businesses. And so let's talk a little bit about your introduction to the career of writing, Alice. How did you get started? When did you first attend your first writer's conference? And what did you learn about yourself through attending that very first writer's conference? Going way back, I, I always wanted to get into the writing world. I always did well in my English classes and everything. And I always thought, I love writing. I love books and I love words. And when... I was really getting interested in like, what does it take to publish? I went to a writer's conference and I thought I need to figure out how do you get published? How do you make a career of book publishing? So I went and I went to all the workshops I could get my hands on and loved what I could learn. And while I was there, it kind of dawned on me as like, wow, writing is really a business. Do I really want a business or do I just love writing in books? I kept that in mind. And I also attended at, at writers conferences, they always have a panel of experts that answer questions. And so I sat in on the editors panel and I listened to these editors talking about book publishing and their jobs. And one of them was talking so highly of his job that I thought, I want his job. <laughs> and he even said at one point, he's like, don't think you can get my job. Nobody gets my job. I'm keeping my job forever. And I was like, yeah, try me. <laughs> so, so I left there feeling like, I think I'd like to be an editor. And part of that was it looks easier. And it turned out it wasn't that easy to become an editor. I had a lot to learn. I had a lot of ladders to climb, but it really was a fun journey to become an editor. You have served in various editorial capacities, and you've also been a literary agent, and you've done lots of other things. So tell us some of the different roles that you have played. I got a part-time job as an editorial assistant in Sunday school curriculum, and I thought, I'm on my way. <laughs> I was really excited about that. It was local in Colorado here, and I got, I got my foot in the door and that was my goal was just get in the door. And I did that for about a year and a job opened up in the book department in the same company. And I applied for that, got the job and I did that for a couple of years. And then there was kind of a change coming in that publishing company. And 
my boss actually left to become a literary agent. And I, as he's leaving, I'm like, if you hear of anything out there, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job because <laughs> mm. they, they were going to be downsizing. Two weeks after he left, he called and he said, there's a position open over here. I've already given them your name. Come on over. And so I applied for that job and got that. And I became an assistant to some literary agents. I did that for three years. And that was a fantastic education. I learned about contracts and submissions and proposals and you know, and what's good writing, what, what's worth it to an agent to represent. That was wonderful. And then I was there for three years and I got a call from a publisher at Waterbrook Press. His name showed up on my caller ID at my house. And I was like, why is this guy calling me? <laughs> and he asked if I'd be interested in talking about a job at Waterbrook. I said, well, okay. I wasn't looking for a job, but I thought, okay, let's have the conversation. Anyway, long story short, he offered me a job and I worked at Waterbrook Press for eight years. And at that time I started out as um, my job was editorial coordinator. And so I did a lot of administrative things, but I also got to work alongside these editors and learn, you know, how do you edit books? Mm -hmm. And so I worked my way into becoming an editor there and acquiring projects. Random House owns Waterbrook Press and they offered some of us an early retirement incentive. Mm. I wasn't really old enough to retire, but I qualified and I took it and I decided I was going to go freelance for a little while. And while I was freelancing in my first year, I got a call from a literary agent, uh, Greg Johnson at WordServe Literary called me and said, I see what you're doing. You're helping authors. Why aren't you an agent? And I said, well, I don't want to do that by myself. He said, come join me. I'll teach you and we'll, let's work together. So I, did, I went and worked with him for three years. And that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot there too and had some successes. And being an agent is kind of an up and downhill, you know, it's like feast or famine, but mm -hmm. it was fun. And then I got a call from David C. Cook and they said, we really need a senior acquisitions editor. And we've already talked to Greg Johnson. Would you be willing <laughs> to come over and talk to us? <laughs> we, Greg gave us permission to talk to you. So I went and long story short, I, I got a job there. And so I was a senior acquisitions editor for a little while and then promoted up to acquisitions director, director of acquisitions and development. Partway through all of this, I got a life coach training program mm -hmm. under my belt and a life coaching certification. And that really helped me become a better editor, better agent, better everything really. And I started coaching authors on the side. Mm -hmm. And so while I was at David C. Cook, I'm coaching authors on the side. I built a course for authors and finally, I was like, I can't do it all. And I really was enjoying my sideline work. And so I left David C. Cook and now I'm on my own. I help authors all the time <laughs> and I, I still edit books and I do some collaborative writing as well. I recall having conversations with you at various stages in your career and I could never recall, remember from one year to the next exactly who you were working for or what you were doing. <laughs> no, but you have done it all, Alice. Taken a lot of steps, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like to tell people there's no direct line between where you are and where you really want to be. And sometimes you discover things along the way. It's like, oh, I think I'll take a little detour over here and see where it takes me. And ultimately, all my detours or all my changes and ups and downs in the industry have really brought me to where I exactly where I want to be. I feel like I'm in my sweet spot now, which is fantastic. As an author coach, Alice, what are some of the ways that you see authors holding themselves back from their publishing dreams? Well, one of the biggest ways is, first of all, they don't necessarily know who their audience is. <laughs> mm -hmm. They just want to write. 
and that doesn't help. But the other really significant way is a lot of authors feel like they should be doing certain things, like they should write their manuscript, they should find an agent, they should be building their platform. There's so many things they should do, and they also should get their life in order so they have time to do all these other shoulds. They end up beating themselves up over the things they're not getting done. When you do that, you actually lose a lot of creativity. So what you really want to be doing is moving from, I should do this to, I must get some of these things done. Because if you don't treat your writing career like a business, it's never going to pay you like a business would pay you. It's never going to reward you that way. If you treat it like a hobby, it's going to pay you like a hobby. And that's okay. If you want it to be a hobby, then it's a hobby. And just say, it's my hobby and I'll get around to it when I get around to it. But if you really want it to be a career or a business, you have to shift from, I should do this to, I must get these things done. If we do want to be business-minded and indeed make that shift, what are some things that we could do that would help us move into business or career mode? One of the things I hear people say is, well, I have a full-time job or I have a family and I've got babies and I've got a husband. There are all these things that crowd my life and I can't build a business with all these other things going on. And the truth is, if you really want to build a business, you may have to build it on the side of everything else you have in your life. That is exactly what I did. When I was working, I was working a full-time job, which if you know what that kind of job looks like, sometimes it's more than Mm full-time. Sometimes I had to work 50, 55, 60 hours a week just to get my projects done for the publishing company I was with. And I built stuff in the evenings at night. And there were times when my kids wondered where I went (laughs) because I was like, no, I'm building this thing because I am really passionate about it. I'm really committed to it. You really have to go 100% and then some all the way in and commit that this is going to happen no matter what you know, no matter who's pulling, who else is pulling on your attention and your time, you've got to figure out for yourself, how can you come up with the time and the energy to build what you want to build? If you want to write a novel, you may have to take some time away from your family to get it done. Or you may have to work some wee hours in the morning, you know, before everybody else gets up. I know authors who do this, the successful authors I work with, do things like this. They get up at four o'clock in the morning so Mm -hmm. they can have two hours of writing time before the kids get up. How do you find the emotional and energy resources to do that? I'm not a morning person. I do get up fairly early, but that's because I don't want to miss out on my day. I tend to get more energized later in the day. So Mm -hmm. I chose my business building, my writing time, my my career building time to be in the evening. Mm -hmm. So I would get up at six o'clock in the morning, get ready for work, go to the office and work my full day and come home, have dinner. And I usually tried to work in just a little bit of rest time. Like if I could just have 20 minutes to take a power nap, close my eyes, breathe, take a walk, do something to shift from being at the office and then coming home. And then I would jump right into my evening work. And I worked weekends too. I I would grab all the time I could on weekends Mm -hmm. when, you know, a lot of people are watching TV in the evening. I was working on my business when people are out golfing or doing their hobby on Saturdays. I'm working on my business the thing about that for me was that I was so passionate about it. 
I was so determined to make it work that it really energized me to do it. And as I got going and I actually was coaching authors and I was actually seeing people move forward because of my coaching, I could work a full day, come home, have a coaching call with an author and end up feeling completely energized, like so excited about my life, I couldn't go to sleep at night. So you really want to figure out like, what are those times that you are energized and what are the activities that really energize you? Does writing energize you? Then write and find the time that your brain can be the most engaged so that you can write. I know that with young kids, there will be interruptions, but mm -hmm. I have a husband and I have adult kids and grandkids and they, they still interrupt me, even though oh, they don't course. live in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the same thing, Alice, when I remember when my youngest son was in kindergarten and I had my laptop down on the dining room table. That was my office at the time, because like you, I was building my business in between doing all these other things and, you know, being a mom and doing freelance writing and working in corporate PR at the time. And I remember my son coming home from school one day and he said, yeah, my kindergarten teacher asked me what my mommy does for work. And I said, she's a typer <laughs> because I'm always typing away on my computer. So that's what I did too. I was constantly interrupted and that's okay, especially when you're a parent and you've got kids at home that need your time and attention, but you can find those little chunks of time, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes here and there in between other tasks to work on building your business. And I really love what you said, Alice, about how when you figured out what time of day works best for you when your brain is feeling most energized and then you did those coaching calls and you felt so energized after doing them, I feel the same way. It's like, oh, I know I'm doing the right thing because I come away from these calls feeling so much more energetic. And when you're an introvert and not a highly energetic person to begin with, like I am, feeling energized after a coaching call, which can tend to drain a lot of people, is a really good sign that you're on the right path in this particular season of your life. You mentioned a few minutes ago something that stuck with me. You were talking about how writers need to know their audience. Why is that so important? First of all, people don't read books unless they really want to. Readers are always looking for what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. What is this author going to provide for me? They're not going to read your book because you're a nice person or because you enjoyed writing your book. They're going to read your book because you're giving them something they're looking for. Some of the best-selling books I've ever worked on have been written by authors who really actually didn't set out to be authors but they saw a need and they felt like they could meet a need and they wrote a book and lo and behold, it met a need. I run into a lot of people who just want to write and they want to write what they want to write. And that's great practice. But if you don't write with an audience in mind, you may not reach an audience. And if you want to be published, especially with a traditional publisher, you're going to need to make sure that there's an audience for your book or there's no sales for the publisher. And publishers are looking for how many books can we sell. First thing they're going to want to know is who is your audience and how are we going to reach them? 
So that brings us around to the dreaded P word, the platform word, which is building your author platform. And that's one of the big shoulds, I think, that people are like, I should do this and I should do that. I should be posting on Facebook and Instagram multiple times a day. I should be podcasting. I should, yeah, I should be <laughs> podcasting. Thank you. <laughs> I should be blogging. There's just so many th- shoulds that we tell ourselves. In terms of building our platform so that there is a built-in audience out there who is ready and eager to buy our book once it gets published, how do we go about deciding on which of those things we actually should do, or maybe in what order we could be doing them, and which ones we could let go? Well, first of all, once you know who your audience really is, and I like to say, think of your audience as one person, because if you think of it as this giant mass of people, it's hard to really hone in on what the need is if you think about masses of people. But if you're thinking about your audience as one specific person who is out there right now looking for what you are writing, who is that person? Really get to know them intimately and then start looking for how could you serve them? You know, if you really get to know them well, you should know if they're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, you know, are they listening to podcasts? Where are they already looking for their answers and looking for help? Where are they already purchasing things? Mm -hmm. And then you want to go there. So instead of trying to go everywhere, You need to go specifically where your audience is. And if you find out they're on Instagram, then master Instagram. Don't try to do every single platform at once. Mm -hmm. Master Instagram. And then if you get really good at Instagram, you could move on to another platform. But when you try and dabble in every single social media platform and every single way to build a platform, you're going to spread yourself so thin, you may not reach the audience you're really after. And this ties in directly also with, I think, marketing your book. Whether you have a traditionally published book or you're self-publishing or indie publishing your book, the question I get asked a lot, Alice, and I'll bet you do too, is when should I start marketing my book? Many of the authors I speak with don't even think about beginning to market their book until maybe a month before the book comes out or even after the book has been published. Marketing your book is something you should or must do if you want to get it into the hands of readers. So what do you advise in terms of how to shift that mindset of, I just want to write into, okay, writing and marketing go together. When does marketing come into the picture? So I like to say, stop worrying about the platform word, because to me, platform means you're standing on a stage and you're saying, here I am, here I am, come here. And I like to say build a tribe instead of a platform. A tribe leader is someone who's serving a tribe of people. So you want to be thinking about who you're trying to serve, where are they, and how can you serve them long before you ever publish a book? Again, some of the best selling books I've ever worked on are people who accidentally or maybe intentionally built a tribe of followers before they ever tried to publish a book. And sometimes those people were asked to publish a book because the tribe was calling for it. An author I worked with at Waterbrook Press, he was actually a rocket scientist. He didn't have any aspirations to become an author, but he wanted his children to learn to love the Bible. 
And so he started telling them stories. They loved the stories he told them, and they tied into biblical themes. Finally, the kids were so excited about it, they brought their friends over, and he would tell the friends the stories. And then pretty soon, the, the parents of the friends were knocking on the door saying, we heard about the stories you're telling our kids. Can you write those down for us? We want those in our house, too. And so he wrote some manuscripts, basically, and shared them. And then all of a sudden, more people are coming saying, we heard about your stories. We want those, too. He self-published them and started selling them at homeschool conventions. Mm. And he ended up with a major distribution problem. He couldn't move the books fast enough, as, <laughs> as fast as they were being ordered. And he came to Waterbrook Press and said, do you think you guys could distribute these books for me? And Waterbrook picked him up and ended up doing a, like a series of eight books with him because they were so popular. And, you know, and he just would joke. He's like, I'm, I'm literally a rocket scientist. I wasn't going to be an author. <laughs> so that's just one example. And I could give you a dozen more, but he accidentally built a tribe and the tribe called for his books. So the key word there is serve. Yes. Serve your readers. And, you know, that's something that has been really a hallmark of my business since the very beginning. And I tend to be a very service oriented person anyway. I love helping people and I probably give away a lot more than I should. I could probably be selling a lot of what I give away, but you know what? <laughs> I just love it. So I started serving my audience and this was a, with a different brand that I own back in 2003 or four when I first started blogging. My blogging as of 2020 has morphed into podcasting, but I love serving in this way too. It connects with a different type of audience than my typical blog reader because it connects with somebody who prefers maybe audio and that connection that you feel when you hear the person's voice. However, I also try to provide transcripts of many of my episodes. And so it's kind of a combo of blogging and podcasting, which is like triple the amount of work for me, but I love it. You know, I love serving my audience in that way. And I receive comments from them all the time, just thanking me for being generous with my time in helping them along their writing journey. And yes, that does also result in quite a few paid clients as well. So the two do tie together. I'm guessing that's how it works for you as well, Alice. Is that right? It is. Yes. If I could, I would give away my coaching for free. I mm. absolutely love it. And I do, you know, like I'll do a free consultation call with, with people when they're requested. I absolutely love that. I also have some freebie things I give away on my website and mm -hmm. I love doing things like this podcast because I know there are people out there that'll get a nugget out of this episode today and go, I can work with that. I can move my needle forward with that little nugget I got today. My philosophy is if I'm helping people get what they want, I'll end up getting what I need. I'll be taken care of. It's, it's really, it's the principle of giving and receiving. You know, when you give, you do receive. It feels counterintuitive when you're trying to build a business or a yes. career. It feels like you should build and get, you should build and you should get paid for what you've built. But really, it, the more generous you can be and the more you really have a servant's heart for your audience, the better. Yes, for you. I, I completely mm -hmm. agree with that. So let's kind of wrap up with going back to somebody who might be listening, who is right now feeling just so overwhelmed with all of the shoulds, all of the things that they're telling themselves that they must do in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest that they could do? Overwhelm is very common. 
And our typical tendency with overwhelm is to feel like I better do more. I better make a a long to-do list and I better start checking things off this to-do list, you know, and just go, 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 go. That is actually the opposite of what you should do. If you're really, really overwhelmed, you actually need to step back and catch your breath. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a break. Let yourself off the hook a little bit and get some rest. It's amazing what a little bit of rest can do for your mind and letting go. And it feels counterintuitive to take your foot off the gas pedal when you feel like you should be flooring it all the time. But when you're flooring it all the time and you're feeling frantic to get things done, you're actually draining your creativity out of yourself. And if you take a step back, you can let go a little bit, rest a little bit, and you'd be surprised at how re-energized you can be and how you might be able to reprioritize some of your to-do things and get back to them when you're ready. I I wouldn't say take three months off. It might be a 15-minute walk outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might be a day at the beach. I was working with an author a few weeks ago that she was feeling really overwhelmed trying to finish a manuscript. She had a deadline with a publisher and she was like, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to make my deadline. I'm scared. And she actually took a weekend at the beach and felt a little bit guilty leaving home. And then she got to the beach, loved her time at the beach, felt so refreshed. She came home and finished that manuscript in less time than she thought she would need. She's lucky she lives near a beach, (laughs) but, um, but you know, there are lots of ways you can take those breaks as you need to, just to refresh yourself. Mm -hmm. I sometimes will take a 10 minute power nap. I'll just close my eyes and I set a timer on my phone. It's like, I'm closing my eyes for 10 minutes. And sometimes that's just enough. And when I open my eyes again, it's like, oh, I know what I need to do next. And it really helps me to prioritize. I will oftentimes, especially when I'm doing an in-depth job where I'm spending many hours at one time on my computer thinking through something or writing something, I will set my alarm on my phone for every 20 minutes. And I'll just, at the end of 20 minutes, when the alarm goes off, I will stand up and do some stretches. I had a woman named Amy Connell on the podcast a while back. I can't remember offhand which episode it was. Amy just gave us some simple stretches that are specifically for writers, things that we can do to just loosen up those muscles And when you take just even five minutes to do some simple stretches, it rejuvenates your brain and just gives your brain that tiny little bit of a rest that it needs, kind of like taking your little 10 minute power nap. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I do a lot, Alice, is I take one day a week, two if possible, where I don't turn on any electronic devices. My computer does not come on. I don't check email. I am just completely away from it. And that really helps me because I always notice that when I come back after even 24 hours away, I'm feeling so much more alert and ready and excited to get back to work. The other thing about in terms of overwhelm is like really take a look at where your energy goes and when you have the best energy. I recommend doing what I call a time study. And if you can take three or four days, this is not easy to do, but it's really worth it. Take three or four days, and from the minute you wake up until you go to bed at night, every 15 minutes, write down what you did in that 15 minutes. And after three or four days, you're going to see patterns of where your time is going. 
and you can kind of evaluate what energy you had as you were doing those things. And when you do that, you can, you can start to pinpoint, you know, here are my best writing hours and I can guard those with my life and make sure I have those hours to write or to do my writing business. And then you'll find hours where you don't really have quite the brain energy for doing the business of writing, but you could do some other tasks that could be related or just get your laundry done, you know, mm-hmm. get your, <laughs> clean your kitchen. Yeah. So for me, I, my best writing and editing time is between nine o'clock in the morning and noon. And sometimes that's my best coaching time too. So I sometimes have coaching calls in those times. And then I usually play with my dogs and eat lunch with my husband in the afternoon, I know I don't have quite the brain power for business things. So I'll get out. I have a horse and I'll go, I'll go ride my horse for an hour. And then I come back energized because that's so refreshing to me. Mm -hmm. And I can jump back in and get a little bit more done before dinner or take a a little rest and re-energize myself. And sometimes I work in the evenings. So you just kind of have to look at where's my time, where's my energy, where's my passion and You have to custom build your own plan. Yes. There is no, you know, here's step one, step two, step three. This isn't a job where somebody's going to tell you what to do. This is a business. (laughs) There is no direct line between A and B. Yes. And you happen to be the CEO of the business. So you get to decide. Yes. Yes. (laughs) you 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 have to decide. It's making a decision and not just saying I should do this or I should do that as we've been talking about, but saying this is what I am going to do and making the decision and taking action on it. I do the same thing, Alice, where I work best in the evening. That's my best writing time. And I've heard different podcasts and different people say, oh, you can train yourself to be a morning person. Okay, I've tried that for 40 years. Does not work (laughs) for me anyway. I've never been able to train myself to be a morning person. So I start a little bit later in the morning. I'll work for two to three hours. Then I will take a two hour break and go to the swimming pool and swim laps, which I love that energizes me. It also makes me tired, but mostly it energizes me and gets my brain back into shape, helps me release all the stress of the morning. Then I come back and I'll work for three or four more hours in the late afternoon or early evening. Now I currently do not have children at home. My children are grown up and live away from home. So I have a distinct advantage there in that I'm living in a mostly quiet household. And so I have the opportunities to do that. But if you have children at home, you can also find those little bits of time and space. And like Alice is saying, take time to energize yourself, take time to exercise, because that's going to be one of the best things for giving you the brain power that you need to overcome all those shoulds that you're telling yourself and to take action with your business. Well, where can we go, Alice, to learn more about you and your coaching services? My website is alicekreider.com. I am also on Facebook. I have a free Facebook group for anybody who's interested in editing and and writing called Ask an Editor. And I believe the link for that is Ask an Editor Now, (laughs) something like that. If maybe you could put it in the show notes. I will put that in the show notes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And that is free for anybody who has questions about, you know, if you want to ask an editor a question, we've got several editors in there. In terms of your coaching services, Alice, are you currently taking on new clients or do you have an automated program that we could join? For writers, I have a, a group course slash support group mm-hmm. <laughs> called Author Access, and that is also on my website. 
it's a group coaching situation where there's a course you can take and it's all about building your tribe. And there's also an option in there for being able to get coaching sessions with me at a discount if you join that group. Um, we have a Facebook group and we meet on Zoom twice a month for group coaching and, and brainstorming. That's a lot of fun. And then as far as individual coaching goes right now, I don't have a lot of availability, but I do have a few slots open. So if somebody's really interested, I can help people get a good breakthrough in about three sessions, um, sometimes one session, but I always recommend like three sessions mm -hmm. is good to really you know, dive in and have a, a massive breakthrough. Thank you so much, Alice, for joining us today on the Professional Writer Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. You know, I've just been listening to your voice as you've been speaking, and you just have such a calm voice. It's like, I want to sign up for coaching with you right now, <laughs> just because you helped me talk me off the ledge. <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit panicked right now. <laughs> I hear that from people so often. It's kind of funny. But Alice truly is a master of the craft, and she knows the ins and outs of the publishing industry. And so she would be a great person to partner up with if you're looking for a writing coach. Thank you for listening today to the Professional Writer Podcast. We are here to support and encourage and learn from one another. And I also have a private Facebook community, just like Alice has one for her coaching. We have one for people who listen to the podcast. And you will find a link to that, as well as the show notes for this episode over at bloggingbistro.com forward slash podcast. Talk with you again next week.